When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Today, I am bringing you something a little different than my normal episodes. As many of you know, earlier this month, I attended an event called CrimeCon. At this event, I represented Voices for Justice on Podcast Row, but I was also there to present a panel on ethics and true crime. I was absolutely blessed to have so many amazing creators and advocates join me. Moderating the discussion was the amazing Stephanie Harlow from YouTube and Crime Weekly with Derek Lavasser. Joining us was John Lorden, who you might remember from the Netflix Cecil Hotel documentary as well as from YouTube. Bob Ruff from Truth and Justice, as well as True Crime Binge, and two incredible advocates, one of my best friends, Kelsey German, sister of Liberty German, and Jason Watts, who advocates for his missing friend, Brandon Lawson. This was just an open, honest conversation between creators, advocates, and me, who obviously falls in between, about how to make this a better space for victims and their families fighting for them. This event in general was huge for me. Just two years ago, I was at the 2019 CrimeCon event in New Orleans, begging people to cover Alyssa's case. I literally walked around with Justice for Alyssa business cards with my cell phone number on them. To be able to come back two years later with my own table for Voices for Justice and my own panel to discuss a topic I am so passionate about was nothing short of amazing. I can't count how many times I cried getting to meet so many of you that supported me in my fight for Alyssa. To anyone that stopped by to say hi, thank you. I am so grateful to be where I'm at with Alyssa's case. I'm also so grateful to be able to pay it forward by applying my experiences in this industry to help other victims and families. But without further introduction, here is my 2021 CrimeCon panel, Ethics in True Crime. This episode of Voices for Justice is sponsored by ZocDoc. If you guys have been following my journey on social media, you know that I am in my Sarah era. After everything I've been through over the last couple years, I'm really just focusing on myself and doing that unapologetically. So I have become that one friend in my friend group that loves to treat myself. A lot of the time that looks like a long bath, a face mask, maybe a special foot soak, but I also knew that I needed to make my health a priority. 
And that's where ZocDoc comes in. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. What I really liked is that all the doctors have verified reviews from actual real patients. You don't have to just guess if they're good. ZocDoc is how I found my new doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com justice and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's zocdoccom slash justice. ZocDoc.com slash justice. Oh my goodness, hi! <laughs> Not just me. <laughs> hi, everybody. I can't see any of you. There we go. Thank you all for being here. They should be announcing everybody else that is lovely and coming with us. Um, but thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. He said there should be five other people up here. Come on up, guys. Don't be shy. <laughs> oh, is your mic working? Mic check. There you now go. It is. There you go. Back. Oh, I think she was Have a seat. You wanted to walk around. Yes, it is me that does not want to sit. How's everybody doing today? Sarah's right. I cannot see you. Yeah. <laughs> we want to thank everybody for joining us today. Sarah, I'm actually going to have you explain what this panel's about, and then I'm going to have everybody introduce themselves and uh, why why, you're, why they're here. Absolutely. So I'll just introduce myself. My name is Sarah Turney. I advocated for my sister Alyssa Turney's case for a very long time. I was fortunate that there was a, an arrest made last year, and I've now uh, moved on to covering other cases. But I wanted to bring everybody together today. Oh, thank you. I'm going to cry. Um, I, just, I just wanted to bring everybody together to talk about ethics and true crime. It's very close to my heart. I've uh, had a lot of good experiences and a lot of bad experiences with media, the, the police, and everything in between. So I brought up some of my favorite people to talk about that, including Ms. Stephanie Harlow, our moderator. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Of course. Because if you don't know, Sarah is my adopted sister forever. <laughs> and what about me. you? I am John Lorden, host of Brain Scratch. And in an interesting twist this year, uh, a Netflix project actually kind of raised this question to the forefront. So I'm really proud to be part of this panel here discussing this today. Thank you. Do we all know this lovely young lady? Hi. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Kelsey German. I'm the sister of Liberty German, and this is a topic that kind of hits home, especially in the last couple weeks in our case. Very much so. <laughs> I am Jason Watts. I am an advocate for the disappearance of Brandon Lawson. Mr. Lawson went missing August 9, 2013 from San Angelo, Texas. And I'm thankful to be here today with all of these fine people up here on this panel to talk about ethics and true crime. Thank you. I'm Bob Roth, and I'm the host of the Truth and Justice podcast. Um, I was... I was very thankful to be asked to be a part of this because these ethical questions we're going to be discussing today are part of my everyday life working to investigate wrongful conviction and cold cases. Uh, and it was also the uh, executive producer and host of the Forgotten West Memphis 3 series on oxygen where we had more of the same dilemmas. So uh, I appreciate being on the panel and appreciate you all being here. I'd like to start off and just ask whoever would like to answer who's on the stage, what does ethics in true crime mean to you? Everything. You have to have ethics, whether you're an advocate, a journalist, an investigator, there has to be some sort of moral center from which you base your work. I agree. I love that answer. Yeah, I mean, ethics in true crime for me is just thinking beyond the downloads, thinking beyond the views, and thinking of the actual case and how you can evoke change in that um, and raise awareness around it. It's, it's just taking the extra step of considering the family members, considering the victim themselves, and just, um, again, just putting that extra thought forward beyond, I want to create this story, I want to tell the story, I want to get downloads. That's really what it is for me. I mean, my show started 
kind of based on an ethical issue. I was watching all this content about the Elisa Lam case that was turning it into a ghost story and a conspiracy theory case over and over and over. And I felt like there's a more serious conversation that has to happen here about this. And it was a growth that I kind of went through in looking through that case. Um, but it's tough because there's no one set of rules that you could apply to every single case. Like, for example, if you make a rule for yourself, I'm only going to cover cases where a family member is asking me for help. Right. What if it's a case where a family member might be responsible? Absolutely. So it's not like you're ever going to get a complete sign-off from the entire family. Yes, we want you to do a YouTube show. So it's, it's, a, really, it's a really tricky thing. Well, there's some cases where there is no family advocate, and those right. people certainly deserve awareness as well. Well, I think that we're always trying to find that balance between sensationalism and entertainment and advocacy and awareness. And it's in the true crime podcasting space specifically is so new that you have a journalistic element to it and then a complete freelance independent, you know, people like me, most of us who have, you know, didn't come from a journalist background trying to tell these stories and trying to accomplish a goal. But then, for me, I know personally, every week, every word that comes out of my mouth, you're trying to balance that with what's going to be interesting to the audience enough that they will help contribute to try to figure this case out and help solve the case, find some truth, find some justice, while at the same time, not upsetting or, or opening up wounds that don't need to be open for uh, victims' family members, for example. I, I like that. I can personally attest to that being an advocate for a family. It's something, you know, weighing the ethics of what I do comes into play every time I go to take an action in the case, you know. It's certainly foremost on my mind whenever I'm going to go on a podcast or, or even be up here on a panel. You know, I have to weigh the ups and downs as, okay, you know, is what I'm about to say being truthful to the case while at the same time being sensitive to the family. It, it's imperfect. Like it's, that's, that's why I keep talking about it's this almost case-by-case -case basis. Kelsey, I think your family would understand this a lot right now, particularly with the new news of this new potential suspect and all that. What are you guys dealing with? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So this week and the last month or so, we've dealt with it. And I think people just want to share the information as quickly as possible. And because of that, it gets sensationalized. And over-exaggerates things that maybe don't need to be over-exaggerated. So I think uh, what's important to talk about today is how most of us here would view some true crime content as entertainment. I mean, you have whole television stations that focus specifically on true crime. But what does get lost sometimes is these cases we're talking about. There's people left behind that we have to be sensitive towards. And besides that, like you said, Yes, people want to be first. They want to share this information as soon as it comes up because it has become almost this, this story, this thing that people follow, and they want to know more about it. But when you have people left behind, as in your case, we also have to be sensitive and make sure that we're getting all the information and we're not putting out something that could possibly be harmful and re-victimize people who have already been victimized. Oh, definitely, especially... In our case, where there's a person being arrested and there's a whole other victim. So we're no longer talking about this case that happened because putting the Delphi case in the headlines is getting more views. And I know, who was it? Was it John? You wanted to talk about the difference between a journalist? Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there's a difference I see, uh, Sarah and I were talking about this earlier, between a journalistic viewpoint, which is you know someone looking for the truth of the story, evaluating the information, laying out the facts, and being an advocate. Um, sometimes I'll be covering a case and I'll have a family member come on and maybe suicide is one potential that could have happened in that case. I won't drive to that. I'm certainly not going to ask the family, well, do you think you know, this was a suicide in this? Do you think a family member ended their own life? You would never do that. But then even that is seen by some of the audience as, 
oh, look, you're just catering to what the family thinks and you're going down these conspiracy theories of all this stuff and it's nonsense when the person just, you know, did it to themselves or something. I've faced a similar aspect in, in Brandon's case because there has been a, you know, long-standing possibility that he may not have been in the right frame of mind the night he disappeared. So that certainly comes up with me. You know, I try to, again, present as much fact as possible while at the same time being sensitive. Well, and I think, you know, the difference between a journalist and an advocate as well is you do have to be truthful to the case because that's truthful to the victim. It's not fair to just uh, champion whatever cause you feel happened in that case because don't know. You have to explore all possibilities. Again, just be fair to that victim. We don't know what happened in a lot of these cases, and I think it's totally fine to say that. I think that a lot of people jump to these conclusions of this is what happened. You know, A, B, and C, I know it. And it's the bottom line is in 99% of these unsolved cases, we don't know. There's a lot of different possibilities. There's so many cases like that. Um, and I just, I feel for these families. Obviously, I was one of those families where you hear some outlandish theories and it, it just hurts. It's, you know, at the end of the day, you just have to remember, we don't really know. And that's okay to say. Yeah, I keep having this thing that runs through my head all the time. Like, I'll watch some other content that I don't love, quite frankly. And it'll hit me that you're not calling a football game here. Yeah, you know? right. You're not trying to pick a winner. Exactly. And people, I know, we want you to be invested. We want you to connect with these people that we're talking about emotionally and feel for them and feel for the case. And because of that, it drives you to, I want to find the answer. I want to figure this out. But some people take comfort in, well, I know what the answer is. I'm the big expert on this case. I've got it all figured out. You guys don't know. You know, there's a lot of Facebook groups that kind of go that way and they'll go private so that, you know, family members can't see that they're being oh, accused yeah. in these groups and things like that. Um, I think it's just really important that, that we always keep that in mind that not only are these real stories affecting very real people and I'm so thankful we have something like this CrimeCon where you can come and meet these people for yourselves mm-hmm. and see what in, what's in their eyes about these cases. When you, how many times did you start crying today? Yeah, I cried about 15 times today. It's fine. I mean... <laughs> it's fine. Me and so, Stephanie cried together. Look, she's about to cry right now. It's fine. <laughs> After I saw the opening to CrimeCon and the, the last shot of um, Sarah just holding the picture of her sister, I, I broke down. I had to run out. It was... It's, you be, if we look at these victims and their families as our own family, we would never do that. And I think that we do have a tendency in the true crime community, us and, and everyone and all the other people that aren't even here, to use cognitive shortcuts. For instance, the Kelsey Barrett and, um, was it Kelsey? I, I forget exactly the case that it was, but shortly after Chris Watts, a woman died, and then her husband gave an interview, and immediately everyone in the comments was saying, oh, he did it, he did it. When this, when this man just had lost his, the mother of his children and he was so uncomfortable to be speaking about it, he hadn't even processed it himself, and people took that as a sign of guilt because of his discomfort and because I think of what happened with Chris Watts, who was so obviously lying in all of his interviews. So they immediately jumped on, and now this poor man has lost his wife, he's got to raise his children on his own, and now he's being accused of murdering her. And how traumatic must that have been for him? Yeah, yeah that's a great thing to, to bring up. I mean, I see it all the time. I've, I've experienced it myself. I've been told, you're not emotional enough. You're too emotional. There's mm-hmm. no in-between. I feel like you guys might, you might uh, sympathize with that. I feel like there's no winning. There's never this perfect response you can have to these things that make people happy. It's always, you're too emotional. You're under-emotional. And it's, it's really important to remember that there's no guidebook for these things. Everybody takes these things differently. Some days I'm sobbing in my bed and I can't get out, and there's other days where I'm totally fine. It's just that's the ongoing process of grief. These things never leave us, even 10, 20, 30 years later. Um, so I think that that's a great thing to bring up, Stephanie. You can't judge people by those reactions. Or you can't have fun. Oh, yeah, I'm yes. not allowed to have fun. Yes. Just, you know. Absolutely. I've seen, you know, some of the family members in the Lawson case attacked because they're not behaving or or reacting in a way that, you know, a particular part of an audience thinks they should be reacting. I've seen Brandon Lawson's poor wife just brutalized 
and, and you know, these are, these are human beings. And in, in their own way, they're victims too. They're secondary victims. You know, they are the ones left behind dealing with the ramifications of a, of a murder or a disappearance. And one thing I really want the audience to remember and keep in mind is that these are people, not only the secondary victims, but the victims themselves are too. All you're seeing is a story that is being put out there, and there's a human life behind that story. Take Brandon, for example. You know, everybody reads about his case, and they see a man who's gone missing. They don't see the husband, the son, the father, the brother, the uncle. There is, there's just a huge whole other story behind what you're seeing, and keep that in mind. Yeah, if you want to be judgmental about Ladessa. Look at her Facebook page, and you don't see a woman that's crying about Brandon who went missing years ago. You see a woman that's trying to live her life. She's got kids she's trying to raise who look a lot like Brandon. Let me see. Uh, she's remarried. So if you're just someone that's being cynical and looking to feel better than someone else, really easy to go look at that Facebook page and say, look, she doesn't even care. Well, who's coming out here? Who's, who's going to be here tomorrow to talk about that case all day, despite the fact that she is trying, she's got, this is the father of her children. So it is, yeah, it's, um, it's one of those things where we always have to keep that in mind. You also made a great point. We are telling stories. Sometimes we're dealing with really limited information. Trying to tell Abby and Libby's story with the type of information that we have we, there's no way we're getting it right. Oh, definitely. And because of that, we have to realize that, like a real investigation, these aspects that we're putting out, they can change along the way. Like, you might think that, hey, it's the husband mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. And then months later, all of a sudden, oh, his alibi checks out. He's completely checked out. I mean, that, that happens in terms of the types of content that we put out, too. I've always said, and I will still say, I reserve the right to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Right, like the Elisa Lamb case. I think that yeah. that's a great example of that. Of course, it's this, at first, even myself, being you know a family member of a victim, I was so enthralled by these videos, by your videos, and I just went down the rabbit hole, and I was like, what happened? All these conspiracy theories. And then you know it, it turns out that it was most likely just mental illness, and that it wasn't as deep or crazy as we thought it was. It wasn't ghosts. It wasn't anything crazy like that. Um, yeah. And again, I think, to your point, it's okay to say, hey, I was wrong. I think it's different now. And I think that if a lot more creators were a little more humble about that, I think that the true crime space would be better. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say I'm wrong. I say it all the time. I make mistakes all the time. That's, I'm notorious in my podcast for saying we just don't know. And that's okay. And it's okay. Yeah. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So what does that mean? Well, June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. I like that you can play totally alone, or if you want to play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day, or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by Quince. The weather is getting warmer, which means it's time to put away all the sweaters and pants and say hello to shorts and t-shirts. I absolutely was looking to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and I went right back to Quince for that. I personally don't love trendy clothes that I have to replace every few months. I am looking to build my solid core collection of essentials, and with the huge selection at Quince, I can do that. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from 30 bucks, washable silk tops, they have jewelry, and so much more. 
One thing I really love about Quince, too, is that they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. And they only use premium fabrics and finishes, so you're not cutting any corners when it comes to quality. I've really been trying to play with pairing casual with more upscale pieces. So recently I just matched a silk skirt with this black tee that I just love and fits really, really well. I think it came together pretty cute. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com justice for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot justice to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com justice. I think that we need to like take this conversation as creators, not so much as you know, people posting on social media, yeah. and go back to the beginning of the process and ask ourselves, why? Why am I telling the story? What's the purpose? Yeah. What's my goal? And then to, and then to be transparent about that. Yeah. If, if the goal is to tell a story to, to raise awareness about a case, or if the goal is to try to solve an unsolved case. Like, I personally don't work on cold cases. I work on wrongful conviction cases, which, which get, it adds a whole other layer in there, right? Because you may have a victim's family that's saying, I don't want you to to look into this case. But then you have the family of the convicted that's saying, please, God, help my, help my, my loved one who's... And so there, there's this, 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 this give and take constantly pulling in both directions. But I think that us as creators, we need to be asking ourselves whether it's long-form stuff or short-form episodes, whatever it is, every time that we get on the microphone and, and, or on the camera on YouTube and we're going to tell a story to ask, why am I telling this story? And what is the purpose? And be transparent about it. If it's just because I just tell stories and for you guys to learn about cases, then be transparent about that. Yeah. Um, but, but, I, but I think that's where what I see in some of the, some of the true crime space that, that I don't particularly care for is, is there's, there's always like a veil of, you know, I'm doing this for this good reason, but it's very clear that that's not the purpose right. of, in what they're doing. And that's when people get hurt. Well, and as a family member, I can say, if someone came to me and said, listen, I just tell these stories, we're going to drink, we're going to laugh about it, especially when I was advocating for Alyssa, I'm like, I don't care, that's fine. That's fine with me because you're getting the word out there. Right. But don't lie to me and say, I'm an advocate, and then come to me and say, no, I'm not actually an advocate, I'm just a journalist, or you know, I'm not an advocate, I'm just here for views. Don't change your mind later, just come to us right away and say, hey, I make this show, it's for entertainment only, maybe it'll help your case, maybe it won't. And I, I, I mean, I can't speak for both of us, but I'm sure that we would say yes to that. I, I did it a million times. I've been asked to cry on camera. I've been, you know, poked and prodded to cry. Um, and if you're just straightforward with me and, you know. Tell me I, what you want. Exactly. Tell yeah. me what you want. Be upfront. But um, when you change your mind later and, and we learn that after the fact, I think that's really when it hurts the most because we are sitting ducks for true crime content creators. We are. Us family members out here are begging for people to cover these stories. We are the easiest targets in true crime because we need you guys. We need people to listen. We need creators. So we'll pretty much accept anything. I would. Absolutely. When I was advocating for Alyssa, I can't think of one time that I said no to anyone. But you're also making a great distinction there when you were advocating. Yeah. Past tense. And you still have people that are coming to you that want to produce current content Correct. Based on that story. Yes, and if you guys aren't aware, um, you know, obviously the case is in a different spot now, so I've really taken a step back. I'm no longer advocating for her because it doesn't feel appropriate with it going to the trial process. So it is different for me now, but I certainly understand all sides. But we wanted it to go to the trial process. Yes, we did. That's what the goal was, to raise enough awareness, to get the names out there, to get the case out there, so that people in law enforcement and, and the powers that be would say, okay, we have to move on this. That's, that's what happened. That's great. Yeah. But what's going to happen, I think, in the true crime space, if people aren't more responsible with how they cover these cases, the families of the victims are not going to want to work with us anymore. Yeah. And now you're going to have watered-down content because having the, the victim's family members not only provide details that you might not know because you can't know everything about the case, but a background into who they were to make this person, your sister, your sister, uh, more relatable to the people who are listening so that, you know, Alyssa could be my sister, Alyssa could be my daughter, Alyssa could be my best friend. We have to make... We have to work with the victim's family so that we can make everyone out there feel 
that this person we're talking about is not just a story, it's not just somebody on TV, but a three-dimensional figure who, who loved, who lost, who had a life, who had talents and hobbies and dreams. And that's what makes them stand out. And those are the cases that, that really get the traction and get picked up when the victim stands out and becomes more than a victim. So we're gonna have family members not wanna work with true crime creators anymore because they are getting burned and they are dealing with people who might not have the best interests at heart. But I don't know how to change that. How do you think we can change it? Yeah, there's no list of, I mean, the interesting thing is I'll have families that come to me and sometimes it's not the right type of case for how I process cases. Like, this isn't one that I can cover. Like, you know, there's no news coverage on it. My format is me going through the research and showing that to the audience, so I can't do that. But you've got a family interview. I've got a friend. His name is Mike Morford. He does a show called The Murder in My Family. That's exactly what that format is. Let me get you connected with him. But there's no list outside of that. Like, I'll see certain cases get covered by content creators I don't love. I'm trying not to say terrible. And I'm like, it's a shame this case got covered by this person, because right now, it's already on YouTube, it's already out there, and my coverage coming up behind that, like, I'm, I'm going to move on to a case that needs that YouTube search hit, you know? So there's also, I wish there was, I wish there was some type of certification of, like, ethical true crimer, you know? Well, it's got to be tough for, it's, it's, I'm thinking about this as I'm sitting here and with Sarah and with... <laughs> With Kelsey sitting here, that for these for victims' family members, um, there's got to be a draw, I think, to you know look at what's happening in the true crime space because we're we're talking about some bad, but man, is there some good? A lot of wrongful convictions have been overturned, uh, cold cases have been solved due to the work of crowdsourcing mm -hmm. uh, between just ind independent content creators and audiences like this that have participated to help make that happen. So I'm curious, I, if, I'd like to ask Kelsey specifically, so in your case, because yours is, is, is so new and it's so, I mean, there's got to be a thousand Delphi podcast episodes out there in the zeitgeist. Like, how do you feel about that when you see that's all happening? Is, is there a part of you that is glad it's happening or is it all bad or all good or is it in between? Like, as a, as a family member, like, how do you handle that and how do you feel about it? Oh, there's a lot of good. There's a ton of good people out there that are covering the case. It's the one bad ones that don't understand that we are real people and ask for the facts and just share the information that they get on the internet. Uh -huh. And all that, that that's not true is being put out there. Um, so now, now that we're finally realizing that and finally getting those bad people um, that are covering our case, we now have to start weeding those out mm -hmm. and start covering with different people. Um, it's been incredibly difficult to figure out who is and who isn't ethically working on our case and other cases. So do you, do you feel like you've seen enough value in the space to do, to do that work, to say, okay, let's, there's enough value here that if we can find the right people, that they can move the case forward, but, not, but doing the work of weeding out the not so great? Definitely. I think once we weed out those ones that are just there for the views and the clicks, I think <clears throat> the true crime space will be a, a way better place, and I think it's a great place for people to come and find justice. I mean, Sarah wouldn't have got justice for her sister without it. Um, and we wouldn't be nearly as far with all of these true crime people working on them. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Well, and to Stephanie's question about how do you change it, you know, as much as I wish we could change it as family members or as creators, it really comes down to you guys. You guys are the consumers. What you listen to, what you watch, that makes people money. That changes this entire genre. If you continue to watch people that, you know, we may not consider ethical, those people are going to keep flourishing. It's up to you guys. It's not up to us. Like I said, we can sit here and talk to you till your ears bleed, um, but it's up to you what you consume. Consumers control the entire world. They, they control whether or not Coke or Pepsi's on top, just like you control who is the top true crime creator in these spaces. It's all up to you guys. And I also want to preface that we're not saying that there can't be any entertainment value. For example, Stephanie Harlow's rendition of... Uh, my father's assassin story, which I can't go into, is one of my favorites because she does make it entertaining. She also has this beautiful analogy about this like silver eyeshadow that me and my sister used to talk about that was hilarious. And it's like, it's okay to insert entertainment value. That's okay. It's just when it gets, when it gets to that gross level of you know that you're not doing the right thing, that you're hand or cherry picking facts because it's more sensational, that's when it's not fair to the victim. Please present everything. Don't just cherry pick what you think is going to get you views or get you clicks. 
Yeah, I think um, especially the humor aspect, you feel as a person when you've gone too far. You feel when, it, it, when it's become icky. Your, your heart and your, your soul and your conscience are going to notify you of that. And some people, I think, they just ignore that and they move on. Yeah. Well, if they're focused on, uh, I'm going to say this outlandish thing and that's going to bring attention to me. I'm going to accuse a family member, you know, that's probably innocent in this case, just because it's contrarian. And it's a way to juicy yeah. up the story so that you get more clicks yeah, out of it. Yeah, it's about yeah. clicks. Yeah, and, and there are people doing that. It's yes. weird because that's what I was trying to change about what I saw happening on YouTube with Elisa's story. And Creepypasta did kind of die off. Like that whole genre just kind of laid down. But true crime exploded. And now there's a new hybrid of dramatic true crimer out there that is doing exactly that. Let me get the most popular story, make a contrarian point of view to that, and then put that out. And it's, they're growing. So it is, it is something, you know, if you don't, if, if you feel like people are using your emotions in the content in a way that isn't genuine to the story that you're hearing, that should just be a little bit of a rub in you guys too, as consumers of just like, hey, Hey, this guy says that he's all about this case, but now he's saying that he thinks the mom did it. Like, that doesn't, you know, with the information they've given me, it doesn't fit. It comes down to intention. I mean, I imagine yeah. all of you guys are out there trying to solve cases all the time. You listen to this. You guys are probably very smart people, I imagine. Um, I'm sure that you can weed out who has good intentions and who doesn't. And again, it, it's up to you whether or not those people succeed. It's not up to us. But we do need to remember that there are family members behind the cases. I wanted to ask you, Kelsey. I'm curious. This didn't happen that long ago with your sister. When you hear her name or see a news report about her or see another YouTube video or another podcast, what's your initial feeling? Sometimes if I don't know who it is, I'm worried. Yeah. It just, it kind of scares me that I don't know what's in there um, because I, I hate listening to them. Like, I love that all of these people are sharing her story, but I hate listening to them, knowing what they're going to talk about. Um, and all of the theories and rumors that they could be going into, not only about me, but my family and Abby's family. Um, so I, I try to stay away from them. And that's unfortunate because what we would want you to be feeling is more hope. Oh, yes, her name is still there. People are still talking about her. We don't want you to feel this anxiety and this sense of unease when you see her picture or hear her name. That is an unfortunate side effect. But I understand exactly what you mean. And we don't want that. I don't think exactly. anybody here wants, <laughs> I don't think anybody here wants her to see her sister's face and hear her name and feel immediately dread and like a rock in her stomach, yeah. right? And Sarah, people have accused you of being the one to kill your sister. Yes, they have multiple times. Absolutely. Um, it's, I mean, it's a crazy ride because you, in a certain sense, I signed myself up for this. You know what I mean? I put myself out there. I uh, created a TikTok that went crazy viral. And before I knew it, I had a million followers and I absolutely signed myself up for this. And I'm a big girl and I can take criticism. Um, but again, it comes back to the intentions. Why, why are you saying that to me? Are you trying to personally hurt me? Do you really think that that's a theory? Like, let's talk about it. Um, but most of the time it's just trolls. You just got to ignore the trolls. Um, it is what it is. But again, I mean, we, in a certain sense, I feel like I signed up for this a lot more than Kelsey did. I feel like, obviously, Kelsey, this was thrust very much upon you, um, and I, it was so new for you. And I feel like we, we have very similar experiences, but also very different. I mean, and you as well, Jason. It's, it, it's just we know why we're here, and we tolerate it, and we bear through it because it's the best thing for the case. And I think that people need to understand that, that most of the time we're not super excited to do these interviews. We're happy, and we're grateful, and, um, you know, we're, we're happy to do it, like I said, but... Yeah, it's, it's a really double-edged sword for us. It's kind of like, for me, it was a mission. I don't know about you guys, but it was like, it, you know, in my certain case, the police said, get media, and maybe that'll help get a prosecution in your case. And so I said, okay, the police told me to do this. I'm going to do it. For me, it was very black and white. I feel like, again, I was on a mission. Um, but it, it can be difficult. It's, it's this really bittersweet thing, I feel. Oh, yeah, like just the other day, I got a message that said I shouldn't be getting married. I should not be engaged. Just because I should be sad. Um, so I think we have to deal with this back and forth between trying to please these people that want the entertainment and advocating and taking care of ourselves at the same time. So it's, it's crazy, all this stuff we've been pushed into and sharing the stories like we know we need to, 
but at the same time getting hurt over and over again by the same people that we want to care about our stories, about our siblings, about our friends. Well, even here talking about this, and we, we did a TikTok Live not too long ago talking about ethics and true crime. It was like my new favorite topic because of everything that's happened. We feel this need to reiterate that we are grateful. Um, but the fact that we need to, like, we felt the need to say that like 27 times during our live. Like, so we're so times. grateful, you guys. We're so grateful. We just want to talk about what it's really like. And even that itself is kind of sad to me that we have to continue to say, like, we are so grateful. Thank you so much for everything that you did for our cases. But also, like, please don't intentionally try to make us cry for views. It's insane to me. Yeah, and I felt like I had to apologize to people that have been good in our case. Like, all these people that were coming to me, like, I hope you aren't talking about us. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm talking about the ones that are sensationalizing it and aren't coming to me for the facts. They know who they are. Yeah, they do. But it's okay. Um, the people that are reading what they hear on the internet and assuming that they're all true. So those are the people that we want to weed out. But all of these amazing people, we're so grateful and we want the help. But we want to get rid of these people that are just there to continue to tell their story and not our siblings. Can I say uh, congratulations on your engagement? Oh, thank yeah. you. I, I would like to comment that the majority of what I do see you know, from the, from the audience, from the fan base, it, it, as a general consensus, it mostly is positive. But unfortunately, you know, the ones that are bad can be very, very bad. That's a really good point. Yeah, I think um, Stephanie and I got a good dose of that <laughs> off of the uh, Netflix special. Yeah, we did. Um, just to give the real brief, very, very brief version, um, towards the end of the special, a... Uh, new person was introduced. And this is something that Epic should be concerned about as well. Someone that was potentially a suspect, if you were a really terrible web sleuth, because he stayed at the Cecil Hotel a year before, which is exactly the information I found out when someone brought it to me, and I never talked about the guy. Um, but the way that the documentary laid it out, they kind of stacked this story of web sleuths. And we were all web sleuths. And there was Morbid, uh, a musician, struggling musician at the time. And the web sleuths went after him, and he almost took his own life. And even knowing that that wasn't something I was part of, I wasn't part of the bandwagon, I didn't even report on the case until two years after what he went through. Stephanie certainly wasn't part of the bandwagon, despite the fact that they showed what looked like her on a laptop from one of her shows talking about him, which was not the case. They mm -hmm. shot all of her interview footage with her and then put that on a laptop and made it look yeah, like that. Yeah, it's framing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I didn't want to shy away from it either because it is important. And I think worrying about not only the family members but other people that could be seen as potential suspects, we have to realize, especially at the Netflix level, like here... We know you guys care about these cases enough that you're learning about them a lot deeper than a lot of general true crime consumers. Yeah. But at the Netflix level, that's their only dose of it. Whatever they saw there was reality. That's that. And Stephanie and I are terrible people. Yeah. And we... I was so upset. Yeah. You guys are two of the best creators I've ever worked with. And when I saw that, I remember I texted you. I was like, what is this? Um, I, I just, I can't believe it. Two of the most ethical creators that I know that I've, and I have worked with a lot of people, you guys. I think at least 50 plus productions at this point. And you guys, just remember, it's, this is a lot of the time staged. What you see is not reality in those shows. Yeah, but I, that's where I really got the first sense for me of, I've talked about this a little bit, that we're pieces of entertainment as well. We put our face out there. Someone hates my, my goatee. Mm -hmm. You know, like, okay. I talk with my hands too much. Right. You're too so mean. We, there's that general stuff we get, but then something like this is like, but wait, I wasn't responsible for that at all. And people are telling me that they, they think I killed Elisa Lamb, mm -hmm. that I'm a, I'm a rapist. Yeah. Like, wow. I mean, just terrible, terrible things coming in our direction. And that really did make me think of this aspect of, okay, we got to be super careful about yes. not passing along to the audience, hey, who do you guys think did it? Go after them. <laughs> like, go on Facebook and interrogate them until they admit that they did what they did or something like that. Because um, there's creators that don't have that level of understanding and do risk that. I know there's creators that I've literally been hearing about lately that are doing exactly that. 
Oh, I've had creators tell me they'll, they'll never make an arrest in your case. Like, oh, we told the whole story, we interviewed her, but at the end they were like, well, there's just no hope in this case. And I'm like, well, that's really kind, thanks. Um, I mean, it's, as a family member, it's, it's horrendous to hear, but you never know until the final production, I think, is the lesson there. Yeah, and I think John and I experienced such a small dose of that because it's, it's not as if not we like were that. related to anybody in this case, right. but the fact is we never said anything about Morbid, and yeah. then they just kind of made it look like we did. And then I got emails saying that they hoped I died and my kids died and horrible, horrible things. And it was so upsetting because you don't know this person, like you, you have no connection to this person, but still to know that there's somebody out there who hates you that much for something you didn't even do is devastating as a human, right? Yeah. And then also, I mean, I, I don't think that anybody in the case really helped afterwards because there was even um, Morbid going on his Facebook page and saying, don't come after this girl and this guy for what they did because this is exactly what happened to me. And I, I messaged him and I said, but you know we didn't do that though. Like, so can, yeah. you, can director, you rephrase that? The director actually came out and said, hey, look guys, we know they're not responsible for what happened to Morbid. Which is a great thing. A retraction is great. However, how yeah. much of a percentage of people see the retraction that saw the main thing? Right. So apologize to Morbid. Apologize to Morbid was a big thing for a while. Nobody does their research. And if anybody had even bothered to ask us for a comment, like Kelsey said, um, if anybody had bothered to ask, we could have very, not only cleared it up, but yeah. shown you proof, which you did on YouTube. You had to show proof, and you were still getting oh, harassment. I still do. I still do. It, it will, it'll never go away. That's just, it's a different level of, yeah. of exposure. So it's fine, because we're all supportive of each other, and we need to be. Obviously, yeah. there's outliers. But if the content creators themselves are responsible with the content they're putting out, I think it encourages less of the trolling from the audience. Because if they know it's not going to be acceptable on this channel, they won't even try it. They'll try it, but it'll, it'll go away soon. If you make sure your base is strong, your base of viewers and your listeners, and they are moral, and they have the right, the right thing in their heart, you're not going to be able to have a lot of other extraneous variables coming in, sort of messing around and trying to pull a bunch of clownery when it's not allowed. And I want to I wanna talk to Bob, too. If you're doing something on a podcast and you're getting comments or people who are possibly coming in and throwing out random allegations, do you let them know, like, that's not okay? Because I think we have a responsibility to do that. I do, and it's, it's very, it's exceptionally difficult for my podcast because it's, Truth and Justice is very much on the nose and out front that it is a real-time crowdsourced investigation. We've had great success with, you know, taking case documents, doing my investigative work, putting that out in a narrative form, and then the audience engaging with the case files, and we've, we've solved cases, and, the, and that's, what, that's what we do. But the, the bad side of that is now you have, you know, 500,000 people that are out trying to solve this case, and, and that comes with accusations and it comes with um, just just baseless allegations and, and and worse than that sometimes it comes with uh, people being harassed and I think we have my audience has been very good about at least heeding my word on that right where I'm constantly telling them do not ever reach out whether it be through social media on the phone in person do not reach out to these people whether you think they're a suspect or a witness you know, I, the audience is useful to me in a way where it, it helped connect me with witnesses, but what I always am very clear to point out to them is what I'm looking for is, because we have such a broad reach, if you happen to personally know this person, please shoot me an email and let's see if I can connect them. Don't go look. I can go look for them. That's not what I'm looking for. But it is, it's, it's tough, and you're constantly playing kind of the gatekeeper of, you know, the, it gets really tricky too, right, because I'm just an average Joe making a podcast, right? I'm not, I'm not a detective, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, but then when you, when you put out, I'm looking for this person, do not talk to them, I'm the one that talks to them. Because then you gotta deal with some of the stuff you're talking about too, like, oh, why are you so special? I'm like, I don't know, I have a fucking microphone, I guess, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know? <laughs> it's true. But it's, yeah, it, it, is, it is tough and it's something we try to manage constantly. Yeah. Um, I just wanna bring this up because I think it's a perfect example, especially having you here. How many pictures do you think, through the two composites they've put out of the suspect, 
How many people on Facebook said, oh wait, it's this guy, and sent a link to his Facebook page? It's crazy, there's probably a million. Yeah. I know I've gotten thousands just in my Twitter, and a lot of them are the same person. And what's sad is they continue to share these side-by-sides and not only contact that person that's probably innocent, but they're also contacting ex-girlfriends, like people they haven't been with for years. Mm-hmm. And then people, like their parents, their siblings, like all of these people now have to question that person. Like that's their loved one, that's their person. And now they have to question it. And it's so sad, these people who are totally innocent, it can't be every single one of them, it can't be all million that I'm receiving. So it can't be your person every time but we're still messaging them and harassing them and ruining innocent people's lives just because we think it might be that person. Like, they have potential of being a suspect, so we have to go and share it all over and post these side-by-sides that even the police are telling you not to share. Right, right, because it's bogging them down, too. This is like an onion. Like, at the center is, like, you know, the family, and then right around that, the content creator, and then other people around that, potential suspects. But in that case, I mean, literally, you're talking millions of people. Oh, yeah, and you you see all of these, like, Facebook groups, and they are private, and you can't get into them. Like, I think I'm in them in my fiancé's because they can't go under my name. So I'm in there, and you look, and there's, like, six or seven different people, and you're like, well, it can only be one of these seven, and it might be none of these seven. So why are you continuing to share pictures of random random people you see on the Internet that you think might be it? I I think it should be up to us as advocates and and, and up – to the audience, too, really, to protect people that, you know, probably very well are innocent. I've, had to, I've come across this in the Lawson case. There's names that I refuse to put out because I know what will happen to the person. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, I have a duty not only, you know, as the advocate to the truth, but to protect the people that, you know, have, have nothing to do with what happened to Brandon. Yeah, I think people seem to forget, especially on the internet, is when you write a comment, you probably forget about it a second later. If you do a side-by-side, you probably forget about it in five minutes. Those things are burned into our brains. I mean, I had someone on TikTok make over 130 videos about me and my sister, saying that I didn't want to find her body because I was making too much money off her case, which, I mean, where? Um, but, it, like, it, I, yeah, I didn't want to find her body, that I was the one that did it, that I wasn't, you know, gone that day at the water park or whatever. Like, attacking me as a 12-year-old, attacking me as an adult, those things stick with you forever. And to those people who are trolling online, they, they probably forget about it the next day. And there's a big difference, I think, which needs to be distinguished, because I want everybody in the audience to know, going over the cases on your own, having speculations, you know, having theories, that's great. That's thinking outside of the box. That solves cases. There's a difference between doing that on your own time or even talking about it with a small group of people and speculating, oh, maybe it was this person, maybe it was this person, and then going out and just blasting that person's picture. The only person we can do that with is Casey Anthony. <laughs> we all know. And is that... Is that- Time for the QA now. I think we should do some QA. <laughs> Does anybody have a question? Yeah, I think the way it works is you come up to the microphone. Yep. We is should this have microphone asked. here? That live up there, team? They've all left us in the back. They were like, Good luck, everyone. To the I don't think anybody's in the audience anymore. They left a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> we're just talking to an empty room now. <laughs> Hi, my name is Arlene. Uh, I'm a family member of a murdered victim that's 25 years cold this last May. And I would like advice on just how to advocate for him, how to speak to law enforcement where they don't dismiss me, ignore me. Like, how do I start? Look at me. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, uh, speaking with the police is a tricky subject. It really is. I highly encourage you to get as much in writing as possible. I would communicate everything over email so that way you can go back. I, I think that it's okay that as family members, sometimes we forget things. Sometimes talking to the police is so traumatic that you don't absorb it all. So it's right. really nice to have it, one, all in email. And that way you can forward it to him and say, per my email, sir, yeah. you said that you were going to contact me four weeks ago. I did that. I was like, hi, I hope your day is going great. It's been 48 days since you said that you were going to meet with me. When can we set up that meeting? So it's about, I, I always say be polite. You know what I mean? You get a lot, what is it, uh, more bees with sugar than... More bees with honey. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Uh, sugar works. <laughs> <Than vinegar. laughs> sugar works. Yeah. So uh, 
be kind. Remember that this is their job. It is not always their passion. Um, be polite, but hold them accountable. That's okay. Like, if you're okay with being a Karen at Kohl's returning a shirt or whatever, like, <laughs> it's okay to be like, hey, you told me we were going to talk. When can we get that meeting? Okay. Uh, it's okay to be annoying. And in terms of advocacy, I think it, it you know, definitely depends on the case, but it's about getting the word out there as much as possible and not being afraid to look silly. I was so embarrassed to do my first TikTok. I felt too old, I felt like an idiot, I don't dance on TikTok, I don't know. Yeah. So I just literally, I made one and I put in the caption, like I'm literally so embarrassed to do this. And before I knew it, I had 22 million views on one video. Like, put yourself out there. Okay. Everyone starts at zero followers. You just gotta start and keep growing it. That, that would be my best advice. If you Thank don't you. wanna be the actual voice or the person, reach out. We're all in the yes. social media area. We're, we're accessible. Mm -hmm. So yeah, reach out. There's yeah, other voices. That's out. my problem. I'm not a TikTok person. I don't do videos and stuff like <laughs> that. You never think you are until you do. And then people okay. love on you. Yeah. That's what she tells me. You never right. think you are until you Start do. Start doing some rewinds. I co-star my daughter's TikTok videos sometimes. Boomerangs. <laughs> yeah, my grandkids love TikTok, not me. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. Third person here. <laughs> okay. Long time listener, first time caller, Stephanie John. Um, <laughs> okay. So the one thing that I want to know is, does YouTube actually, and I know that you guys have had issues with YouTube many times, um, does YouTube actually help you guys weed out some of those people who are going to be those users that, or those viewers that will... Take an offhand comment. Uh, this is a theory only, but then they'll go and start attacking somebody. Is there any way that they help you out with that? No. No. The, easy, the best tool they give us is um, there's a way for us to hide those comments and, and just say love all that comments. Button. I love that button. Oh. Yeah, all comments from this person. Don't show them on my channel anymore. Hide user from channel. But... When you're talking about the level of Stephanie in particular, even I have trouble with this, and I don't get near the views she does, it takes a team to review all those comments. Like, I've literally got community managers, a team of community managers that are looking for those, and I've got a form, a report they fill out, and they let me know, okay, John, this Do you is... really? Yeah. This is, this so is one of the block. Um, it's really tough, and I wish YouTube would get on board with better tools for managing absolutely, the community like absolutely. that. Absolutely, absolutely. And Stephanie, congratulations on 500K, babe. Oh, thank you. She just hit 500K, you guys. Half a million. Please give it up for her. Okay, thank you. Hi. My question has to deal with um, confidentiality from a creator's point of view. How do you protect the confidentiality of the family, and what is the line between what's legal and what needs to get out, uh, just from a creator's point of view? YouTube has some pretty strict rules about... Um, private information that we can release and not. The only strike I ever got on YouTube, I was, it was before my channel was up and running. I was complaining about a former boss that I had. And uh, I, I mentioned his license plate, what his vanity plate said. And YouTube gave me a strike because that was identifiable private information. You know, someone could find his car or run his plate or something mm -hmm. like that. So um, the general rules that I follow, I don't know if I think you're probably pretty close. It has to be newsworthy. Everyone that's being discussed has to have been discussed in some major media source previous to me, or a family member is talking about a, a particular person. And even in those cases, in most cases, I'll knock off the last name yeah. or we'll give them a moniker or something like that. In the, in the podcast space, there's no one striking anything, so we're yeah. on our own. Yeah. We're free. Yeah, well, it, we're free, but there's all, it's, a, it's a danger zone, really, because it, 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 for me, it's an ethical dilemma all the time, because I don't, I intentionally, very intentionally, don't cover cases that have been in the media. I've done, you know, I did West Memphis 3, but everything else, we're trying to take a case and bring it into the public's light, so there isn't media out there, so all I have is case files, and everything in the case file is public record. Every name is public record. So the biggest thing, I, obviously I'm never going to put out addresses and you know, phone numbers and things like that, but I struggle with names. Because sometimes you're dealing with, well, this person could potentially be a suspect. It's perfectly legal for me to say this person's name. It's in the public records. But should I say this person's name? And it, it's, it's, it's something, I don't have the answer for it. I, I, 
I make a decision on a case by case basis. In most cases, I do end up using names, but no other other no other information. But it's it's one of the trickier parts, ethically wise, as far as putting together the content. From my standpoint, if if it hasn't been put out there yet, or law enforcement hasn't put it out, think long and hard about your decision to put it out. Information. So my my question has to deal with like those public records. Like anybody can go, you know, grab a 911 tape properly filling out the required documentation for that. But what, where do you draw the line between, I don't know, you were saying like you get a feeling if you're like cross the line. I'm like, some people don't have that. Like, you're talking about like for playing a 911 tape? Yeah. Or just, I, or just any, any records, period, from the case file, reading through the police reports. Like where, because there's some very, very like personal details in there. So like where, where do you draw the line? See, I, Relevancy? Uh, again, it's tough, but I mean, I, I redact beyond, so the, whoever you get your records from will redact what's not public. So you, so you feel, not ethically, but legally, when I get this case file, anything in this case file, I can share with the public because the powers that be have deemed that this is what is releasable to the public. But then I have my next layer below that where I go through and redact further information that, because, you know, I have an, an, an a crowdsourced investigative podcast. So I need my audience to see the case files in order to do the investigation. But then I take things like 911 tapes, almost never, I, I think I played one because it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty level. Um, but if there's a lot of emotion and, and, and trauma that you're hearing in those tapes, I won't, even though, you know, maybe it's podcast gold, I guess, for some creators, but for me, as someone who spent 16 years as a firefighter and has witnessed that trauma in person, I can't listen to it. So I don't, I don't think that it's fair to take that and put that and let somebody else be a part of, of that horrible point in someone's life. No, that makes sense. I'm a 911 dispatcher. So I've always wondered how do you take what we get and put it into something that a story that you can tell. Right. Like, and be confidence keep you know confidence so thank you for answering my question appreciate thank it thank you hi hi um i just wanted to ask since you guys so kind of correctly put the onus on the listeners for really being responsible for kind of hopefully maybe preventing some of these less than ethical or this less than ethical content that's out there um do you have any like specific advice or recommendations for how we as listeners, besides just, you know, not listening to those, um, you know, those specific, uh, that specific content, but how can we help that situation? How, how can we help prevent those things? I mean, feel out those intentions, you know what I mean? If it feels sensational, if, if you've heard the same case over and over again, for example, the Elisa Lamb case or the, you know, the Casey Anthony case even, or uh, Kaylee Anthony, I should say, um, you can usually distinguish, you know, what are the relevant facts of the case versus what's really, you know, exciting to talk about for these people to get people hooked. I think it's pretty easy to determine a lot of the times between the sensationalism and the actual facts of the case that matter. That's really where it is. That's where that line is. I can't tell you, I got over 3,000 pages of public record for my sister's case. Public record is my entire podcast, and there's so much I left out because it wasn't relevant, but it was extremely sensational. I think I would have gotten a lot more downloads if I did include those things. But again, you have to ask, is it relevant? Um, so again, I, I know that it's not perfect. I, you know, we can't expect you to know every detail about every case and be able to determine those things, but trust your gut. If they're yelling and creating fancy names for people that glorify them, you know, that's, that's probably a good indication that maybe they're, they have different intentions with the content that they're creating. For most of us, I think there is a big case that helps launch us. I know for you, McKenna. Yeah, Madeline McKenna. Um, for me, Elisa Lamb. So, I wouldn't write people off right off the bat for like, oh my God, they're covering this case that's been you know, covered 100 times before. Right. But kind of watch what they do with the, with the attention. We were talking earlier about occasionally, you know, my focus is also to bring lesser known cases forward. Um, but you also have to keep the YouTube algorithm happy. And you gotta, so we were talking about like using a case as a wing, basically. This is a bit of a popular case for me to cover, but I'm going to do that to make sure people are still coming, and now I'm going to slip in these other five cases they've never heard of before. Um, so, but to your, to your point directly, I don't want you to go after them. 
No. Please, <laughs> I don't please want don't. you to tell them, you know, like, hey, you're a, <laughs> well, you you're a terrible creator. You can talk to them and you can say, you can does ask. this feel right to you? Yeah. You know, even just have a conversation because we yeah. want to take down the attacks, obviously. We don't want to be othered. We don't want to be divided. But have a conversation. I think it's so rare now that people approach each other kindly if they don't like what they're doing. Yeah, you know? please don't leave this panel and say that we no, told you to like I go hate on people. Well. Like, well, we can't listen to you anymore. We <laughs> went to Sarah Turney's <laughs> panel or whatever. Please, please but, don't. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, however you want to handle it, it's going to be fine. The internet's a very <laughs> nice and kind place. So however you oh, comment, yeah. I'm, sure yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'll be fine. Fairly <laughs> and gently. You don't want them to feel attacked because then they'll get defensive. You want them to be open to hear what what you're saying, right? So, hey, do you think that this is the best? Like, have you considered this? You know, what's your approach? And then maybe they'll be more open to kind of meeting you in the middle instead of being like, well, this is my channel and I'm going to be as big of an asshole as I want to be so you don't get to say anything about it. So go away because they they do. I mean, I, I get defensive sometimes, okay? Sure. Yeah. But you also learn <laughs> yes. from other people's input. Right. Like, my channel was shaped on mm-hmm. other people's yes. input. That was part of my transition from uh, conspiracy theory analysis into true crime. You know, I was, I was responding to what I was getting back. So but if someone maybe approaches, don't give up on them. Yeah, if, if they approach us kindly, yeah. like with constructive criticism, yes, I'll be thinking about it all day. It'll be yeah. annoying to me. I'll be thinking about it so much. But if somebody's just like, you suck and your hair's stupid yeah. and you're a jerk, then it's like, no, nah, <laughs> I'm not going to, no. <laughs> I think that's it. But kindness, always yeah, kindness. Yeah, they're gonna take the hook yeah. and get, a, get us yeah. off stage now. All right, well thank oh, you yeah, guys for answering my question. Thank you so much. Thank you guys, guys so much. Thanks for caring enough to come hear this. We really we appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation and more importantly, caring about the topic. I truly believe that an ongoing conversation like this will lead to making this a better space for everyone. But as always, thank you. I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney. For more information about the podcast, to suggest a case, to see resources used for this episode, and to find out more about how to help the cases I discuss, visit VoicesForJusticePodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast player. It really does help more people find the podcast and these cases in need of justice.